Hello, this is episode 5 of the Untitled Sandspoint Podcast Project. I'm recording this on Sunday, December the 14th of 2014. I'd like to talk today about uh, an idea that's been sort of forming in the back of my head. Uh, I'm calling it the, uh, I'm calling it Internet-Enabled Entitlement Culture. And it plays off of some themes from some stuff I've written about recently, including the, the right to be heard. And basically, something about the internet really kicks off this entitlement mindset in a lot of people, myself included. I think we all, you, me, um, anyone who's on the internet these days has some degree of entitlement culture enabled by the internet as part of it. I mean, uh, just for some early examples, wares and uh, illegal MP3s, you know, stealing software and music as if uh, you're entitled to have the fruits of someone's hard work for free. Oh, and I am guilty of those. Oh, boy. I like, uh, I remember, uh, oh, even before the internet, I was getting pirated software. Back in middle school, a friend of mine had a pretty fast internet connection or something and was able to get us a copy of Microsoft Visual Studio 6, Bryce 3D, uh, I think Photoshop 5, Oh, and probably some other stuff too, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't pay for those and I didn't deserve those, but on the other hand, I could do, when my GeoCity site, I have really nice navigation and a big, ugly 3D, uh, header thing, so, go me. But the entitlement culture goes far beyond just stealing things, stealing software and, and, and other things. The entitlement culture of the internet is, is extending more and more into people. And yes, I'm rehashing again right to be heard, but we are not entitled to anyone else's time unless we're paying them for it, you know. We're dealing with real people on the internet, and it's hard to realize that, I think, when you're behind a screen and a keyboard, or increasingly just a, a piece of glass. And I think that's changing our relationship to people. I mean, it's harder to be... It's not impossible, mind, but it's a lot harder to be a jerk to a stranger when you're looking them right in the face. I know, you know, New Yorkers and Philadelphians have a reputation for being jerks, but we're not going to yell at you to your face unless you've done something really, really bad. Typically, I've found it's more just like sort of voice or whatever, and you're walking past someone who's broken the social norm. It takes a lot of work for your average person to uh, really get screamed at in this town. Because we all know that tomorrow, or even 20 minutes from now, or even 5 minutes from now, we're going to be the asshole to someone else. It's just the inevitability of living in a big place with a lot of people. And if the internet were a city... It would be the biggest city. We're constantly running into each other. It didn't usually happen. Didn't used to be like this. Back in in before the days of social networking, you know, you had to go out and actually go to a place where people were, and it was other weirdo nerd type people. Some of the harassment and uh, other issues that are happening now are not new. There's a great piece I read recently about a uh, sexual assault, purely in an internet chat room, sort of little historical document, and I'll drop that in the show notes. 
it's not a huge leap to go from that to Twitter harassment, Facebook harassment, cyberbullying, which, I mean, I hesitate to, I don't like the term cyberbullying because it's just the same problem in a different and more hard to police space. There's no incentive for people to view the person on the other end of the conversation as human. And when you have groups that work to systematically deny someone's humanity, be that 4chan and, or, well, I guess 8chan and Gamergate and men's rights activists who seek to deny the humanity of their ostensible opponents, it's with the unfettered access that we have to each other, more or less, it becomes extremely problematic, as we've seen. I'm not really sure if there's anything that can be done to to stop it, but I'm wondering if we can't at least, you know, make people think a little bit before they post. I'd thrown out a tweet a while back about possibly using Bayesian filtering to stop Twitter harassment, and there may be something to that, but you know, there's a great XKCD comic about a virus that read people's YouTube comments back to them. And I'm thinking, what if we use this Bayesian harassment tool not to stop harassment from reaching its victim, but maybe just to spin it back to the, to the person who's making the post? Like, whoa, do you really mean that what you're saying? You know, you've made five harassing, five very angry posts in the last five minutes, maybe you should take a time out. We're going to turn off Twitter for you for an hour. Go cool down. This is just me spitballing here, but we have the ability to at least do that, but it's it's still a technological solution. It's a band-aid, but I think it's a better one because it forces the user to think about what they've done. Just saying, oh, hey, your Twitter account's been blocked. Uh, your Twitter account's been uh, disabled for harassment. Go, uh, start a new account, you know, that's not making someone think. Forcing someone, in a way, to sort of see the humanity and the human reason behind why their actions have consequences, that might help a little bit. It's worth something. It's worth trying, maybe. I think the, the toothpaste is out of the tube to call back to episode one and for a lot of these things. And we're just going to have to find ways to reassert our humanity and reassert the positive aspects of our humanity in this online space before things get too bad. It has to happen on a top-down level and a bottom-up level. It has to be it has to be a priority of the services that we use, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Instagrams, the whatever, to make interaction more positive, to make negative interactions harder, but also for us to work together from the bottom up and say, you know, we're tired of this stuff too. Us ordinary internet users. You know, I promised that this uh, show would get more positive. Set so, uh, so far, no go. <laughs> I blame the holidays. That's all I can really think of for now, but something obviously has to be done. And I look at the world, I look at we just had a huge, huge protest here in New York City over the weekend. I was not part of it, but uh, I endorsed it from afar. You know, the protest was about police brutality and 
it was huge. It, I was very surprised. I was actually hoping they'd come across the uh, SantaCon drinking Santa's thing and just crush them because, boy, that is the most obnoxious thing in the world. People are finally pissed off enough that they're really pushing, and I think we're seeing maybe the start of an internet-enabled upheaval in society, but I don't even think it's the internet so much as just the internet's enabling it in terms of, like, communication. You know, Twitter wants to take credit for the Arab Spring as a way of organizing protests. No, I don't think so. We're seeing, I'd say this is an internet-enabled one because we're seeing it's harder and harder to ignore all the uh, horror shows. And it's so possible. You can, if you're following me on Twitter, you can just turn off retweets and not follow any uh, activist types. And hey, guess what? You're living in your uh, social bubble and that's fine. But when even the mainstream media is picking up on this stuff and showing it, even with their spin, it's harder and harder to avoid it. The more we see, the more people will eventually react, I think. So that's where I stand on that. And maybe we can use this technology that forces entitlement into us and spin it into something better. With that, I want to uh, end on a uh, on a plug. I recently picked up a game for the iPad. It was originally a PC game called Papers, Please, and it's very interesting. A, you play the role of a border inspector at some third world Soviet-style country, and every day the rules about who can get in, what documents they need, changes. It's basically a bureaucracy simulator. I pay I paid six bucks to basically relive my old job at the welfare office, only uh, with a little more uh, espionage involved. But uh, it's fascinating, and it, it's a game that makes you think. So uh, I recommend picking it up. And if you have an iPad or getting the PC version, it, it's it's on Steam too. It's just you know, throw down a couple bucks and try to picture, put yourself in the role of a faceless bureaucrat for a while, and and, and see how that makes you feel. Anyway, this has been episode five of the Untitled Sandspoint Podcast Project. Thank you for listening, as always, and I'll talk to you again next week.